guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit, and the Spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. But if you're being led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use and casting spells, hate, fighting, obs fighting obsession, losing your temper and competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as the song has said, you are in constant pursuit of us. And we pray that we would allow you to catch us. May our lesson this morning be the beginning of that or the continue of that. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was 11 and a half, I was baptized. I had this uh, insatiable hunger for reading and knowing scripture. And so I studied with, I, I had my own Bible study teacher, my sister and I, um, and every week, once a week after school, we would study uh, uh, the Bible with our teacher. And then I loved it so much that my brother also had someone studying the Bible uh, with him, and so I joined his study during the week too. And then following that, some months later, there was this big uh, uh, evangelistic campaign that came to town, and I sat there as this 11 and a half year old, wide-eyed, gazing at the preacher, and when the series was done, I said, it's time to get baptized. <laughs> and so I did. And uh, by the time that I had turned uh, 13 or so, I threw it all away. I kind of put it on a shelf, and I said, ah, with this religion thing. But the question was, after my 11 and a half year old uh, or baptism at that age, what came next? What was the next step? I mean, in my 11 year old mind at that time, I, uh, I thought that now I need to be perfect. From 11 to the day I die, no more mistakes. Sounds crazy, right? 
That's because it is. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's kind of how we think of baptism and walking with God. That it's an experience that you're called to perfection. And yeah, that's what you try and do. I was 11. In the letter to the Galatians, which was written uh, approximately about 15 to 25 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, Paul wrote this to the church or the believers in Galatia, southern province of Rome. And around the writing of this time, or around the writing of the letter, this time, <laughs> there was intense Jewish opposition to the gospel in Galatia. And new Christians were being told that they needed to become Jewish or they needed to follow the outward ceremonies of the Mosaic law. And so Paul writes to uh, help the church understand that to continue following the outward ceremonies of the Mosaic law is actually in complete opposition to the gospel. The gospel says we are forgiven for our selfishness and put into harmony with God by believing in the work and life of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Right? All of the Mosaic law was pointing to this Messiah. He came. And now this is the transition. Right? We are to live in guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. And so during that time, false teachers were teaching the Galatians that they needed to be circumcised, right? And that began to create division in the church. So Paul writes this letter to help believers understand the gospel and prevent further division in the church. And so as he's writing this letter, he's coming to a close and he's bringing things to a conclusion. And he says this, and from our text of emphasis, we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. And he says this, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, not uh, sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves or servants to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Couple of things to point out. He says, you've been called to freedom, liberation. And then he says, the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he begins to explain this idea more in verse 16, which is what we read. Verse 16 says this, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or, uh, oh, actually, I should have asked this question. After he says verse 13 and 14, this is the question, Paul, okay, how do I live a life of freedom to where I genuinely love my neighbor? And so the answer, response, is verse 16. He says, live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or I like how the common English version puts it. It says, I say, be guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your selfish desires. 
How? How do we do this? How do we access this freedom? How do we love our neighbor as ourself? The Spirit of God. The third member of the Godhead or the Trinity. This is a divine work. God has to be involved. Why? If you wanted to jot notes, this would be a good one. You can't conquer yourself by yourself. You can't conquer yourself by yourself. And it's not this type of conquering uh, uh, that we're talking about. We're not talking about like, you know, dry January or no spend January, which I tried to do and failed. <laughs> not talking about that. <laughs> this is a deep internal work, okay? One that changes the very nature of a person. How do you change your selfish desires? God has to do it. It changes the selfishness in an individual or removes right, gradually. There has to be a power stronger than your own human capacity, stronger than your very own nature in order to elevate you to a level of freedom from your own self. It's divine. The verse says, be guided by the Spirit, or live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God, gives guidance, and you can accept it or reject it. One of the true marks of liberation or freedom is being able to choose of your own conviction what decisions you'll make. I remember in the past uh, hearing kind of this illustration of, of this reality that when you walk with God or when you're living in the Spirit, it's like the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat of your life. Maybe you've heard that example before. But I want to refine that idea just a bit. I'm convinced that when you live by the Spirit, you're in the driver's seat of your own life. And if you allow him, God will be the co-pilot who not only helps you navigate life, but is also the one giving you directions throughout your journey. Now, typically, the co-pilot doesn't give directions. The co-pilot takes the directions from the one in the driver's seat. But this is a different kind of co-pilot. He gives the direction, and then you driving decide if you want to follow or not. You being in the driver's seat allows you the freedom to decide whether to follow whatever directions have been given to you. A guide is someone who leads and you follow. However, you have the choice to be able to follow at a distance, right? If you choose as closely as you'd like, and ultimately you can decide if you wanna keep following altogether. With God, there is this relationship of willful submission, right? A relationship of trust, not takeover. 
You should come to realize, though, eventually, if you are following, that at some point, it'll click that God's guidance is always better than your own. And some of those lessons are hard learned. I don't know if that's happened to you before. In spiritual songs and in music, often we'll talk about this idea of like being consumed by the Spirit, right? Or being taken over, right? The consuming of the Holy Spirit is the infilling of God's presence, not the takeover of your will. The consuming of the Holy Spirit is when you are in a position of willful submission because your trust in God in that moment is complete. Sometimes we go in and out of trusting God. In that moment, it's complete. Side note, tangent. It's very hard to submit to a God that you don't trust or a person that you don't trust. We often don't trust because we don't know. It is unlikely many would be willing to follow a guide that they don't know, that they don't trust. Okay? This is in relation to our lives. And this ultimately is a topic for another day, though, right? Getting to know God, right? How do you get to know someone to a level to where you trust them, right? Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. Verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Or, rather, you are not dependent on the law or the ceremonies or rituals of the law. This is where freedom comes into play, right? You are free from performing these ceremonies and rituals of the Mosaic law or these traditions because everything that these uh, uh, symbols mean, everything that these practices symbolize, were pointing to Jesus Christ and they've been fulfilled. So now these ceremonies are uh, memorials, if you will, They were incorporated into daily life as a reminder to a person that someone is coming who would bring ultimate restoration to human brokenness. And then he came. And in addition to that, he will also bring humanity back into unity with divinity, with the divine family. So instead of these practices being the daily reminder outwardly after Jesus came, Now, you're guided by the Spirit of God internally. And your daily practice of life is willfully structured according to God's guidance. This is freedom. You can choose. I don't need to have these laws in front of my face because God who is love has become the law of my heart. This is the new birth. This is the reality of being a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
One of the main points of scripture is the reality that God wants to move us from a place where we're constantly measuring ourselves by a law that we can see written down to living by love in the heart. I don't need to check it. I'm living it. It's in here. Love becomes a natural outflow of my Christian experience. It's an internal cleansing. It's an internal transformation that produces change in behavior. Not of willpower, not of your own strength, but of God. Christ is your righteousness, if you've heard that before. He's the source of what flows out. Being in a healthy relationship with God comes by faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works or the things that you do that point to him, right? And sometimes we've replaced the rites and rituals of the law with modern-day Christian traditions, or if you've been Seventh-day Adventist for a long time, the traditions of Adventism, the traditions of religious folk, right? Church attendance. I'm at church every Sabbath, or I go to church every week. You can do that and have no internal change. I am the healthiest, as healthy as I can be. I'm a vegan, I'm this, I'm that. Be vegan, no internal change. Tithing, I give the most tithe and I do this and I do that, no internal change. Spiritual disciplines, I pray and I fast and I do this and do that. You can do all of that and have no internal change. You look holy outwardly, but internally you haven't changed. Sabbath keeping. I rest. I keep the Sabbath. No internal change. It's a stiff religion. Sometimes, in fact, people seem to love stiff religion where, where they, they pride themselves in not doing anything, uh, not celebrating, not doing this and this kind of music and this and the. I don't want to live your life. Boring. <laughs> it is not outward religion. It is heart religion. What's coming from here? The key is we must begin to learn how to enjoy life without violating our conscience which is guided by the Spirit of God. Living in a way where you are constantly checking if you broke some law is not freedom, it's slavery. That's the message of the gospel. Change so that you operate with freedom of your own will. And your internal desires and motivations are naturally in harmony with God. In fact, God promises to write his law or his character on your heart. If the spirit of God lives within you, God will not guide you in opposition to his own law or his love or his character, right? The Spirit of God will not guide you in opposition to the principle of love. 
Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Selfishness produces these things. Right? This is just human nature as we see it. If I could uh, uh, rephrase this in a way, instead of uh, uh, those who do these things, let's say those who are led by selfish motives will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Right? Not because the kingdom of heaven is a place of exclusion. The kingdom of heaven is not a place of exclusion. The whole gospel of Matthew is telling you about the kingdom of heaven and how, how easy it is for everyone to get in. A servant goes out in the road and cries to everybody, come to the king's feast. Anybody who wants to come, come in. We have the 11th hour worker, right? picks up people from the marketplace at the last hour and pays them the same amount as people who started at the beginning of the day. Jesus said, this is the kingdom of heaven, where anyone who wants it can have it. The kingdom of heaven is not a place of exclusion, but rather inclusion, right? The kingdom of heaven is a place of selflessness, not selfishness. Have you ever been to a place uh, where you perceive that you don't fit in? Right? Uh, was in, when I was in high school, uh, a significant moment for me. I typically was into R&B and hip hop and I had my lane of entertainment and music that I really appreciated. And someone invited me to this rock slash metal concert of a local band of some kids at our school. And I was like, okay, all right, okay, cool. This is new territory for me. All right, let's see, let's see what this is about. <laughs> so I go, I'm seeing people from school, and they start up the music, na, 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 and I was like, okay, all right, cool. All right, I can get down, cool. And then I see this kid from my fifth hour jump off the stage. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, okay, all right, all right. And then a mosh pit starts, and people are pushing and throwing hands, and I took a couple steps back. <laughs> uh, I said, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew I didn't fit in. <laughs> I was like, this is a little different than how I like to get down. But I didn't fit in that space, right? That just wasn't my thing. Maybe it's your thing, cool. Not mine, right? I just knew that wasn't a spot for me. The kingdom of heaven runs in opposition to the principle of selfishness. One would be in constant tension with the principle of love or selflessness 
if their life was dictated by their selfish desires and motives. Heaven is built on a different reality. We must be changed. We must be guided by the spirit. It runs on selflessness. So if I've cultivated my entire life running on selfishness, it might be a place that I just really don't care for. Or it might be a place where I feel like I don't fit in. Verse 22 says this. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another and envying one another. The works of the flesh or Actions motivated by selfishness have a particular fruit. And then the scripture lists a few. Here, selfishness is the character uh, type. Right? But then, works or actions uh, motivated or sourced by the Spirit produce a particular fruit of the character. Previously, selfishness is the character, and then with the spirit, it cultivates a different character, begins to change that, right? God works, or excuse me, good works that are unmotivated by the spirit, okay, let's talk about it. Good works unmotivated by the spirit produce self-righteousness and legalism. Basically, they encourage a form of selfishness. Because you said, I did that, right? I'm the source. I made that good decision, right? If you follow the spirit of God, know this, your character will change. It will. It will. It's a fact. If you continue to follow the spirit, it also means that you continue to abide in his presence. And if you continue to abide in his presence, God, who is a consuming fire, will burn everything that is impure. It is the fire of a refiner. Like a blacksmith, right, or someone who works with metal, to get the purest form of the metal, to get the purest gold, put it in fire, and it burns away all of the impurities, all of the dirt, everything unwanted, and it leaves the gold shining. God is that fire. You will change. And the fruit of the Spirit is what you'll see. The gospel is liberation from being controlled by our selfish desires that perpetuate brokenness in our lives and in the world. God gives us the desire and the power to choose differently. 
The gospel isn't about doing actions that make you look religious. The gospel is about living a life of freedom. The outward form or what people should see the most is the fruit of the spirit, not all of your works to look holy. The Pharisees had that problem. They would pray on their knees in the open marketplace so people could think that they're holy. Right? They would do this, they would tithe this, they would do this for people to see. The scripture says they have their reward. What was their reward? To be seen of men. Right? Internal change is what we're looking for. And the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. That is the fruit that will come forth when God is in your heart. Not that you fast all day or you spend all day praying, all of those things good within context. But that is not what people should focus on or see most when they look at your new life in Christ. Right? So, Paul, how do I live a life of freedom to where I genuinely love my neighbor? To answer that, he says, look, it's the work of God. It's the Spirit. Ask to be led by the Spirit. Ask for him. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you both to will, the desire, and to do or to work of his good pleasure. I can't even have the desire st stemming from myself. I have to ask God to cultivate an appetite for good things. So answer this question for yourself. What should every day look like when I walk with God? If you thought about yourself probably starting again all of these religious forms, you may need just a little adjustment. The gospel is a message of liberation to make you a more loving and lovable human. Amen? To make you a more loving and lovable human. I have met some of the most ornery believers, and I'm like, whatever you got, I don't want it. <laughs> loving and lovable. The gospel is a message of liberation for your heart. We are held under oppression by the selfishness of our own hearts. We can't get away from it. And so God says, I've come to free you. I've come to break the chains. So again, what do you want your life to look like with God in it? The gospel changes your relationship with the people you engage with every day, with your family, with your friends, with the community around you, with the world. And we rob the gospel of its power when we merely think of it changing our forms or just our actions and not actually our hearts. So my question to you this morning, what do you want? What are you looking for in your experience with God? If you're looking to experience the gospel, to experience change and transformation from the inside, then that 
is the beauty. That is the power of the message. That's Jesus Christ within us, the hope of glory. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? Then I pray that God would make it your experience. Amen.